You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Two is where we're going to be today. Uh, we're continuing our series. We've entitled Sacramental Living. Uh, don't let that word scare you, sacrament. We don't use that a whole lot. But basically, a sacrament is just, it's a, it's a visible expression of an invisible grace. Um, it's a physical or outward uh, symbol of this inward or spiritual reality. That's what sacrament literally means. And throughout the church, uh, through history, really, we have seen the church hold two sacraments, uh, two sacraments that Jesus actually has commanded us to observe. And those are the, the sacraments of baptism, which we talked about last week and got a chance to celebrate baptisms, which is great. Um, and this week, we're going to be talking about what we refer to as the sacrament of Lord's Supper or communion. Um, depending on your background, some of you may have heard this uh, referred to as the Eucharist or Mass or the breaking of bread, uh, whatever you call it. Uh, it doesn't matter so much, but um, there's a lot of misconceptions around uh, what communion is, why does it matter, how are we to take it, and so hopefully uh, I'll clear some of that up for us uh, today. So if you will stand with me, we're going to read in Luke chapter 22. And each week we like to stand as we read the scriptures because we believe this is the very word of God being spoken to us. And so we stand out of reverence when God speaks. Luke 22, I'm going to read verse 14 actually down through verse 30. I'm not going to cover every one of those verses, but but want to read them all to set the context. Verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. By the way, notice how much the kingdom of God talk comes up in here in this passage. We won't have a time to dive into that this week, but hopefully we will in a couple weeks. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this. Then, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them to which of them would be considered the greatest. What a time for that argument to break out. I'll be greater. No, you'll be greater, right? Verse 25, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles will lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me a kingdom. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for those who are here. Oh, so blessed to have this family. Um, thank you for, for allowing me to be a part of it. I pray that right now for those who are here and uh, 
listening online, for myself included, that as we dive into this text, that you would just speak to us, that you would minister to our hearts in a unique way that is for our good and your glory. It's in Christ I pray and ask these things. Amen. He may be seated. Every year, my wife and I, for our anniversary, we like to go to Memphis and eat at a, a, a nice restaurant. And so over the last several years, we've eaten at places like Iris or uh, Southern Social or Itabina or Folks Folly. Um, this last year, you see it on the, the screen, we ate at a place called The Bishop. Uh, a few pastor friends of mine in Memphis had recommended this place. And so we went there, we got our seats, and we started looking at the appetizers. And uh, we went for what was one of the most least expensive items on uh, the appetizer list, which was a $28 uh, a canned or tinned seafood. That's what it's called, tinned seafood. And as you can see in the picture, it came as advertised. It was uh, uh, what I would just say tuna or sardines in uh, cans. And it was the most expensive sardines I've ever had in my life. And therefore, uh, it was the best sardines I've ever had in my life. Life. Or at least I told myself that. I'm like, wow, you can really taste the peppercorns, can't you? And the, the olive oil and the seafood. And um, so we ordered our appetizer. And then after that, we got an entree. My wife typically goes with a more exotic food. But in this particular instance, she got the Bishop Burger. You can see that in the background. That's Portrait Road, by the way, for those of you who are wondering. Um, and, uh, and then I got the steak. I got the filet, which is just covered in this fantastic kind of like peppery, creamy sauce. And uh, let me just say something about this meal. I know there are some meals that we eat and, and they don't have an impact on us. So like we eat it and as soon as we eat it, like we forget all about it. But then there are these other meals, uh, that when we eat them, they, they, they have a lasting impression on you, right? Like, like you take pictures of it, uh, you post it on social media, uh, you text your friends, let them know, or you call your family because you didn't just eat a meal. Like you had an experience, like you had an encounter that changed you. Like, like you, you end up eating it as a result. It was so good. Like you, actually leave the place differently than you came into the place. And I share that because when you think of Christian spirituality, there's a meal uh, that is better than any other meal, including the meal you see on the screen. Uh, There is a meal that, that you won't find on Yelp, uh, you won't uh, find it on the Food Network. It doesn't have a lot of trimmings. It doesn't have a lot of ingredients. And yet it's a meal that, listen to me, if we will learn to take it in the right way, has the potential to transform our lives from the inside out. Of course, I'm talking about like the meal, not like the Lord's Supper, a meal that, again, when we eat it in the right way, it leads us to encountering Jesus and being formed by Jesus. Both of those things are very important. Those are two things I think, especially in our culture right now, we desperately need um, in an overly busy, distracted, right, addicted to our phones, secular to the core society. We each week need to encounter Jesus and be formed by Jesus. And communion helps us to do that. You maybe heard the phrase before, you are what you eat. And we believe the same is true when it comes to the Lord's Supper. That again, when we eat this in the right way, we encounter Jesus and we are actually being formed and changed by Jesus to look more like him. And I would say our true and better self as a result. And you see, because the early church understood the significance of this meal, that's why if you will go and read the book of Acts uh, later on your own time, or you will just do a, a quick search, what you'll see is that down throughout church history, the Lord's Supper was considered actually non-optional in the life of a disciple. Um, It may come as a surprise to some of you, but for uh, for hundreds of years, actually, in the church, communion was kind of put right up there with the preaching of God's word as like the most important thing that you would do when you would come together. And I want you to kind of think about that for a moment, because if you got a text message right now, maybe one of your friends texted you and said, hey, 
show me a picture of your church, what would you send them back? I'm actually curious what you would send them. My, my guess is that if you were going to send a picture of the crossing church, of your church, some of you would maybe go stand out on Pruitt Street and you would take a picture of the building, right? I figure several of you might do that. Some of you might take a picture of the band. Uh, some of you might even take a picture of me like standing here on stage and, and preaching, and that is all fine. But what you have to understand is that for hundreds of years, the church was not known as a crowd around a stage, but a family around a table. It was known as men and women who would gather together around the Lord's table to feast on the Lord's supper. I came across this painting um, this past week. I think I can throw it on the, the screen for you. It's known as the Frantio Panis Fresco. Um, it's probably down, by the way, in the notes. Yeah, there it is. And this is a very famous painting. It's actually in a catacomb in Rome. And uh, it was taken, or it was actually painted back in 110 AD. Um, and what scholars believe is that this is the earliest kind of snapshot of the church. Uh, this is like a, a kind of early painting, the earliest one that we know of, where whenever people thought of the church, this is what they thought of. And if you notice, I know the, the, the painting's kind of warm, but you have seven people, right, men and women, and they're facing one another, and they're doing what? They're eating a meal. In fact, they're taking communion. And, and I share that just to say this. Again, when you read the scriptures, when you look down throughout church history, in the eyes of the church, communion um, is really one of the most important things that the church can do together. Um, because the early church understood this, because they knew that when we take this in the right way, we encounter Jesus and we're being formed by Jesus, this was, for hundreds of years, the central practice in the church. It was a non-negotiable with that in mind, the question that I want to try to run after this morning is, how do we actually make sure that when we take communion, we take it in the right way? Because there's a lot of different ways you can do this. Like you can take it in the wrong way and you can take it in the right way. And what I want to ask you is how can we, or what I want to answer today is how can we, when we approach this, whether we come to the table or you take one of those little disposable cups in the back or whatever you do, how can we make sure that we are taking this in a way that rather than it being like some sort of religious kind of box that we check to, <clears throat> to actually be in something, excuse me, that helps us draw closer to Jesus and as a result changes us from the inside out. That's a very important question that we need to answer today. Because, uh, you know, uh, listen to what Paul says, for example. Uh, we know, according, by the way, to Acts chapter 20, verse 7, uh, that Paul believed we should take communion every single week as a church. Um, and so Paul believed that, that this should be taken weekly, and he believed there was a specific way that we should do this. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. He says the following, Whoever eats the bread... Or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So he's saying when it comes to communion, there's a worthy way of doing this and there's an unworthy way of doing this. Verse 28, everyone therefore ought to examine themselves. I would underline that word examine. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Verse 30, this is why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen dead. Needless to say, communion's a really big deal to God. It's a really big deal. Might not be a big deal to us, might not be a big deal to the American church, but when you read the scriptures, how we take communion matters to God. And so with that, 
in mind, I want to look back now at Luke 22. And I want us to talk today about how we can take of this communion in a worthy manner, in a way that truly, rather than being for our harm, is for our good. But before I talk about how we take communion, let me just make sure we're clear on why we take communion. And in order to understand the why, you need to understand the context of Luke chapter 22, which is the context where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. By the way, side note, if you're ever reading the scripture and you're trying to discern what it says, remember this, location, 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 location. You always need to root what you're reading in the context of when and what was actually happening in that moment. And in Luke chapter 22, what do we see? Jesus and his disciples are gathering together because of the Passover meal. The Passover meal was the meal of all meals for every good Jew. It was something that every Jew was required to take as a way of remembering God's faithfulness to them and how he delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt, took them through the Red Sea and into the promised land. And if you remember, by the way, from Sunday school class, how did this happen? How did God deliver the people of Israel from slavery? Well, he raises up Moses as this deliverer. Moses then goes to Pharaoh on behalf of God and says, Hey, God wants you to let his people go to stop enslaving Israel because if you don't, bad things are going to happen to you. Pharaoh, though, has a hard heart. He's very arrogant. He says, I don't care about what you or your God says. And so get back to work. As a result, God then sends plagues on Pharaoh in Egypt. And so it starts with him turning water into blood. He sends frogs and lice and gnats and locusts to overtake the land. He actually kills off their livestock. He causes boils to form on their skin, darkness to fall over the land. And yet, though for me, I'd be like, okay, like, Israel, you are free. Like, get out of here. Pharaoh is still so proud, still so arrogant. He refuses to be broken. He says, I'm not letting the Israelites go anywhere. And so what does God finally decide to do? He says, go to Pharaoh and tell him, because he refuses to repent, I'm going to kill every firstborn in Egypt. Can you imagine that? That's what the God of the Bible said. Can you imagine if that happened in Paragold tonight, by the way? Like, every firstborn child died. I just put yourself there for a moment. Like imagine the wailing and the crying and the chaos that would take over, like it would just break out as a result. This is what God says He's going to do because of Pharaoh's disobedience, because He keeps enslaving the people of Israel. But as a way of protecting the children of God, way of protecting Israel, what does He do? He says, "Here's what I want you to do, Israel." I want you to go get a perfect spotless lamb. And wouldn't you like be nervous if you're the guy who's inspecting the lamb? I would be like, like did, did I miss anything? Are there any defects that I didn't see? Right? He says, get a, a lamb without defect, kill it, and then take its blood and put it over the doorpost of your house. And if you will do that, when the death angel comes, he will see the blood and he'll know that is a sign of don't go in and kill that baby, but pass over that home. And that's where the Passover meal comes from. That's why it has that name, because it is a reminder of God's faithfulness, a reminder that because of the blood of this perfect lamb, that the death angel would pass over their home and God would eventually free them from slavery and move them into the promised land. You say, okay, why is that significant? Because again, that is the meal that they're sitting down to take in Luke 22. They are strategically, Jesus has picked this moment to come together, this time where they would focus on eating the Passover meal, or by the way, your translation might say um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is what they're observing here. Another little side note, let me say this. Um, 
there's debate over should the Lord's Supper be unleavened bread or leaven? Like, does it matter, right? Have you ever heard that before? Like, does it all need to be unleavened? The reason that people think that communion has to be unleavened bread, it's actually never commanded, by the way, in the scripture to use unleavened bread for communion. The reason people get confused on that is because whenever they were sitting down to eat the Passover meal, they ate unleavened bread. The reason they ate unleavened bread in the Passover meal is because when God told Israel to leave Egypt, they had to leave so quickly the bread couldn't rise. So when they were remembering the Passover and what God did in Egypt, they're eating unleavened bread. So that's just what they have there in front of them. God never commands us to, uh, to continue that tradition. It's just what was in front of them in this moment. And so here they are, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, right? They're at the Passover meal. And then get this, as the disciples are remembering this story, Jesus says this, what happened back then with Israel in Egypt, I'm about to do on a much greater level for you. In other words, what Jesus goes on to say in this passage is just as Moses led Israel out of physical slavery to Pharaoh and into the promised land, Jesus says, I am now going to lead you out of a spiritual slavery to sin and into the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus has come to do. Jesus is, as John the Baptist declared when Jesus walked on the scene, the Passover lamb. He is the one who has come to take away our sins, to shed his blood for our forgiveness so that rather than experiencing death because of our sins, we can experience an abundant life with God in his kingdom. So that is why we take communion. For those who have trusted in Jesus in his life, death and resurrection. We take communion because when we take it in the right way, we literally nourish ourselves with this good news, with the gospel. When we take the bread and we take the juice, it is a tangible reminder of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. But with that being said, like if that's what communion is, again, the question is, how do we take it in the right way? Like my guess is today, like most of you already knew that about like why we take communion. Right? Like the majority of you already knew that. So I don't want to preach a whole message on here's what communion means. But what I don't think we're always really clear on is how do we take this in a way that, again, rather than being for our harm, is actually for our good? How do we take communion in a way that actually helps us to encounter Jesus and be formed by Jesus? And what I want you to see this morning is this if the Lord's table, If communion is going to go from being some sort of religious box that we check to actually being something where we truly encounter Christ and are formed by Christ, and in the words of Paul, we have to examine ourselves before we take this every week. And more specifically, I would say we have to examine ourselves in two places. We have to, one, examine our relationship with Jesus, and two, we have to examine our relationship with others. I want to say a short word on each of those, draw some implications, and then we'll be done. But first off, if when you take communion, like you want to get your biggest bang for your buck, so to speak, like you want to encounter Jesus and be formed more into the likeness of Jesus, you need to start by examining your relationship with Jesus. In verse 19, look again at what we see here. Jesus says, uh, the following, it says he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, listen to me very carefully. These words right here, whether you know this or not, have caused a lot of debate and a lot of division in the church over the last 2000 years. And, and the debate is, is over this, like, Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood. So what people are asking is, well, what exactly does he mean here? Like when Jesus says, like, this is my body, 
what does he really mean? I mean, he says, this is my blood. What does he really mean? And there are several different views on this, but let me just kind of highlight some of the more uh, popular ones, okay? On one end of the spectrum, when it comes to this interpretation of what does it mean by this is my body, this is my blood, on one end of the spectrum, we have our Catholic friends, okay? And the Catholics hold to a view that historically has been known as transubstantiation, which is just a long, fancy word that means this. If you grew up Catholic, you grew up believing that when you take communion, this is the literal body of Christ. And the juice is the literal blood of Christ. So what they teach in the Catholic Church is that when you take communion, you are literally eating and drinking Jesus. Like literally. So as you can imagine, communion, or as it's known in the Catholic Church, mass is a very big deal to Catholics. A very big deal. This is taken with uttermost seriousness. In fact, they believe that because this is the literal body of Christ and the blood of Christ, this is how you experience union with Christ. So if you cut this out, there's no heaven. Does that make sense? So it's a very big deal to the Catholics. On the complete opposite end of the Catholics, or what I would say are probably the Baptist, which is how I grew up. Okay, And the Baptists don't hold to transubstantiation. They hold to what is historically known as the memorial view. And in the memorial view, what you're basically teaching is this. The bread is just the bread. The juice is just the juice. And all this is is a sign that points you back to what Jesus did for you. It's just something you do as a way to remembering what Jesus did. That's all that it is and nothing more. And so if you grew up in a Baptist tradition, like the one I grew up in, um, we would try to take the Lord's Supper every quarter. Anybody else? Is that kind of y'all's? Okay. We would try to do it every quarter. If you didn't get around to it, it's like maybe once every six months or maybe once a year. And here's the reality. We wanted to do it because we knew God commanded us to do it. But if we didn't do it, it's like, it's not that really that big of a deal. Like no big loss. Does that make sense? So you have the Catholic view, massive deal. Huge deal. The Baptists that are kind of like, yeah, it's, it's good. We should probably try to do it when we can, but like it's not the end of the world if we don't really do it. Well, there's a third perspective, and I would say this is the one that we as pastors hold to, and it is what has historically been referred to as the Reformed view. There's other names for it, but it's maybe one of the most popular one. And in the Reformed view, here's what we believe. The bread remains bread, and the juice remains juice. But Christ, in a mysterious and profound way, is among us in these elements. Um, God, clearly, is everywhere. Yes, he's omnipresent. But he doesn't manifest his presence in the same way in all places at all times. That's pretty clear, right? And so we believe communion is just one of those places where God chooses to, by his design, in a special way, through his spirit, right? The presence of Jesus to manifest himself among us. This is what I actually believe Jesus, by the way, is getting at in verse 19, if you look back with me, when he says, and I quote, do this in remembrance of me. How many of you have heard that line before when it comes to communion? Do this in remembrance of me. Almost all of us, right? It's actually even on the front of this little table up here. Do this in remembrance of me. I think it is. On the, is this one front of the table? Yeah, okay. I thought it was. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. Um, Oftentimes, at least the way I heard this and the way I kind of interpreted this for years is I would, I would read this. And, and honestly, I think this is one of the most misread teachings in the scripture from Jesus. But, but we read this line, do this in remembrance of me. And we think, oh, what Jesus is saying is just remember what I did for you on the cross. That's what we think he's saying. But, but look again in your Bible or on the screen. Is that what Jesus says? When Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, does he say, do this in remembrance of what I did? 
No. If you want to read the Bible and take it literally, and I think we do, um, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, why is that important? Because, please hear me, when you take communion, when you observe this meal, it's not just a place where you remember what Jesus has done for you. It's a place you remember that Jesus is now with you, right here, right now, through his spirit, in a special and yet very tangible way in these elements. This is why David Fitch, in his little book on communion, says the following, the Lord's table is about presence. Sure, it's about eating, but ultimately it's a discipline that shapes a group of people to be present to God's presence in Christ around the table. When we train ourselves to recognize God's presence at work around the table, we will then be able to recognize his presence at work in our everyday lives. See why this is such a big deal? Because whenever you recognize the presence of Jesus here, you're able to recognize the presence of Jesus with you out there. And in John 15, Jesus says, that's the secret, by the way, to experiencing a fruitful life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. Put another way, here's what I, I'll, just, I'll say it like this. Communion, above anything else, is about a relationship with Jesus. That's what this is about. More than communion is just something we take to remember what Christ did. It's a meal we take to remember that Christ is alive and he is with us right here and right now. And this is why, by the way, if we want to take communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, in a worthy manner, we have to start by examining our relationship with Jesus. We put away distractions. We don't do this flippantly. Right? Like if Jesus was physically in here right now, like you I would imagine most of us are putting away our phones, right? Like we're, we're probably putting away distractions. Like we're, come, we're moving towards him with intent. And, and that's the way communion is to be observed. It's time we put away distractions and we try the best we can to be present to the presence of Christ who is now with us. And if we can be honest, this is very difficult to do. We have such short attention spans, thanks to social media, right? It's just like scroll, 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 right? Like, I mean, we are all over the map. Recently, I, I was with my wife. We were on a date, and um, we were eating, and we sit down, and like my watch just begins, it's connected to my phone, which begins to ping with notifications. I don't know if anybody else has a watch where you're connected to your phone, but I'm getting this is like buzzing, 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 and before I know, I'm like, oh, let me look at my phone. And then I look over at my wife. She's on her phone. I don't know how long we've been that way, but what I realize is like, man, like, like, here's this moment where we could have had this incredible intimacy, and yet, because of distractions, it was gone. It was a moment where we were robbed of that intimacy. Like, we were here, with, or we were there with one another, but we weren't really there with one another, if that makes sense. And so, what we had to do is, if we wanted to cultivate intimacy, is what we had to do. We had to turn our phones around. We had to turn the Bluetooth off. We had to silence our phones, put away distractions so we could focus on the person there in front of us. And listen, communion is the same way. Because this is all about a relationship with Jesus, because Jesus is here and now through his spirit, and we believe in a, in a mysterious way, even through communion. Before we take this meal, guys, listen, we put away our distractions. We don't do this flippantly. We focus on our relationship with Jesus. Rather than just kind of like shoving the bread in your mouth or the little wafer or, or whatever else it is, and you just kind of throw back you know, the, the, the juice like it's a shot or whatever else, like, before you do that, Man, you should, you should sit or stand if you're coming down here. Just take some deep breaths and say, okay, God, I know that you're here. Now help me to be here with you. But Jesus, I trust by faith that you are here. Now help me to be here with you. And then here's what I would encourage you to do, man. Like, again, if Jesus was physically here, this is the way we would respond to him. Like, I would encourage you, like, 
before you come with your laundry list, all this kind of stuff, just say, is there anything you want to say to me right now? Is there anything that I need to hear? Maybe in a lot of the sermon or maybe something, a lot of what happened this week or something coming up. Jesus, is there, is there something that, that, that you want me to be aware of? Is, is there maybe a sin that I need to repent of? You know, sin, more than it just to be like doing the wrong stuff, sin is whenever we basically begin to run to something else and look to something else of, as of more value than Jesus himself. And so is there any sin in my life that has created basically this disconnect or right now, like I see other people maybe raising their hands and the pastor's passionate about you or whatever else, but I don't feel you. I don't experience you. My heart's cold towards you. Like, like this is a moment to stop and, and to reflect, just as we should in our own marriages, right, with our spouse. Like, reflect on your relationship with Jesus, the one who we believe alone can give us the salvation and satisfaction that we long for. This is the first and necessary step we must take if we want to partake of communion in a worthy manner. But then secondly and finally, if we want to take this in a way that, man, we're encountering Jesus and being formed by Jesus, we're learning how to be present to his presence, not just here, but in the everyday stuff of life, yes, we examine our relationship with him, but we also, secondly, must examine our relationship with one another. You know, we live, America is called a weak group society. It's one of the only societies like this in the world where we believe that, that like, y'all exist for me, not me for y'all. Does that make sense? So, like, when I walk into a church or another room, like, my question is, like, what all can y'all do for me? Like, that's, that's, a, that's called a weak group society. It's a very American individualistic view of the church. Um, and and we, we really have to try to step away from that and try to denounce that because when you read the scriptures, it's clear. When you believe the gospel, you're not just saved into Christ, you're saved into the church. You become a literal member of the body of Christ, and there's no member here more important than the other member. You enter into a family, right? the family of God. And here's the good news about this family. It's not centered on me. Amen? Like, isn't that good news? And it's not centered on you, but it's centered around Jesus. And this is what we see in Luke 22, right? I mean, here you have Jesus, and he's at this Last Supper meal, and he's not just with a disciple, he's with the disciples. These very ordinary, yet radically different people. People who were in different stages of life, people who had different political views, different personalities, and yet they put all of that aside, and they share one loaf and one bread around one person, which is Jesus. And this is one of the things I love about communion. Notice when you take communion each week, there's not an expansive menu here at the crossing. There's not a meal for rich people and then a meal for poor people. There's not a a, a meal for white people and then a meal for black people. Uh, There's no Republican meal and then a Democratic meal. There's no red cup and blue cup. There's not a certain type of bread for people in this stage of life and then a certain type of bread for people in this stage of life. There's not a cup for those who read their Bible daily and then a cup for those who haven't even been able to find their Bible this past week. There's one meal, and it points us to one person, Jesus Christ, the one who brings us together and keeps us together. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 on the importance of how communion unifies us to get <clears throat> together. And he says this, chapter 10, verse 17, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share one loaf. Translation, what Paul is saying is this. As the people of God, whether you're rich or poor, you're young or old, you're educated or uneducated, you need to know there are no VIPs in the family of God. We all come together for the same meal, a meal that signifies our union with Christ and our union with one another. 
If you think back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 11, the passage where people are getting sick and dying because they're taking communion in an unworthy manner. Has anybody ever studied that passage? Do you know what they were doing that was causing them to take communion in an unworthy manner? The reason they were dying, the reason they were getting sick off of communion is because they had divisions among them. That's what Paul goes on to say. Rather than loving one another, they're competing with one another. Rather than showing each other grace and forgiveness whenever someone sins against them, they're just like, they're holding grudges. They're being resentful. And as a result of that, they're getting sick and they're dying off. And so again, this is a big deal. It's a very big deal. Which means when we come, we partake of communion, we pause and first we just examine our relationship with Jesus. But then we must, guys, examine our relationships with one another. And so what I think that means, honestly, and, and a practice that I've tried to, to put in my own life is just before I take it, I just ask, like, God, is there, is there anybody that I've sinned against or hurt? Is there anybody that I've sinned against or hurt in the church? I've been harsh with. I've gossiped about. I've judged in my heart. I've looked down on because they're not as far along as me or whatever and their knowledge of the Bible or whatever it could be that I could look down on people for. Or even a question to ask, is there anybody who has sinned against me or has hurt me? And, and, and rather than forgiving them, I'm holding resentment towards them. I'm just, oh, I get drunk on my resentment because they failed to meet my expectations. Rather than forgiving them as Christ has forgiven me, I'm holding that against them. It's very important, guys. If we're going to take this in a worthy manner, we examine our relationship with Jesus and we examine our relationship with others. And that is why I would say at the end of the day, the Lord's Supper, listen to this, more than it's about a ritual, it's about relationships. It's about relationships. It's about a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. And it's about a relationship with one another. Some of you, uh, you may not have known this, but do you know what uh, communion was often referred to the first couple hundred years in the church? You know what they would refer to the communion as? The love feast. Actually, that actually comes from the Bible, by the way. It's in the book of Jude. You may not have known that. They called it the love feast. That sounds like something like hippies would call it, right? Or like some sort of like immoral activity. Or maybe that's just the way my mind works. But it's actually a beautiful description of what communion is meant to be. A sacrament that is not shaped by the law, but by love. A sacrament that we take as a way of first off remembering that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then it's a way of us receiving that love and then giving that love back to God and to others. Of all the things you may think about what the Christian life is, Jesus sums it up for it pretty simply. He says this, the great commandment, the point of Christian life is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like that's what this is all about. And if we can be honest today, listen, we've all fallen short in this area, haven't we? Maybe some of y'all haven't. I'll say this, I fall short of this Every single day. Every single day. Uh, we took our, our kids to Memphis on Thursday. Uh, it was my daughter's birthday, my oldest. And, and <clears throat> she wanted to go rock climbing in Memphis at a place called Memphis Rocks, a little indoor facility there. And then we went to a Mexican restaurant. While we were at the Mexican restaurant, my son, my middle child, uh, he spilled his drink. And then he began to cry because he was so embarrassed that he spilled his drink. And then I got embarrassed because he was crying. And I was just like, son... Everybody in this restaurant can see you crying. Like, get, get it together. Like, dry it up. You know, he, he's so embarrassed. And rather than, like, in that moment, meeting him with compassion, I just meet him with condemnation. I make him feel even more shame. God, what is wrong with you? Like, dry it up. 
And uh, man, that is just one example of just like times in my life that I can just blow it big time and even loving my kids. If I can't even love my kids perfectly, imagine what it's like being around y'all. It's a real struggle. And I know it's a real struggle for y'all to love me, right? This isn't easy. I can be, I can be hypercritical. I can see the negative way easier than I can see the positive in people. Um, I can be judgmental. I can write people off real quick. If I see that you're going to come at me and try to like cut off a relationship with me, I'll just cut you off first. I'll smile at you at the grocery store. But I'm done with you. I can do that real easy. There are times that I fail not just to love my family and to love you. Times I fail to love God. A lot of times I fail to love God. Times that he tells me to do something and I'm definitely not doing it. Times where he says stop doing something but I keep on doing it anyway. And my guess in a room this size is that I'm not alone. That's my guess, at least. And if you can relate to me in that, if you're here and you've heard me say, hey, communion is a time for you to examine your relationship with Jesus and examine your relationship with others, and you've kind of already begun to feel some condemnation, like, yep, I've sucked at this. Well, here's what you have to remember before we leave today. It's the reality that at the end of the day, the Lord's Supper is not a reward for the godly but it's a gift for the broken. This is what we see in Luke chapter 22. What kind of people are sitting around the table with Jesus? It's his disciples. And if you know anything about his disciples, here's what you know. They were not popular. They were not prestigious. And they were definitely not put together. You see them sitting there arguing about who's going to be greater than who right there at the table. That's stupid. And they couldn't even help themselves. They're so jacked up. These are misfits. These are the least of these. These are outcasts. These are people you probably wouldn't want in your missional community. And Jesus invites them to come around his table. What that means is no matter who you are or what you've done or have not done, your failures and flaws, all that stuff, Jesus sees it, and he still wants you around his table. How do you know that's true, Jared? Because in verse 21, who do we see sitting at the table with all the disciples and Jesus? Judas himself. And Jesus, think about this. Jesus invites Judas to sit around his table knowing everything that he had done and was about to do. Judas had already been sneaking around trying to sell out Jesus for a little bit of change before he came to the party. Would that not be so hurtful if you knew that? And as soon as he left there, he was going to do the whole thing. Oh, God bless you. Yeah, Jesus, you're awesome and all that. He was going to play that game. And then he was going to go right back out and he was going to get the soldiers and come and bring them to Jesus, betray him with a kiss so he would be crucified on the cross. Jesus knew that was going to happen. And he said, come partake of my body and my blood. That's scandalous. But that's how Jesus rose. It's not how Jared Pickney rose. But Jesus, man, he loves not only his friends, he loves even his worst enemies. 
And so I'll just say this. Your sin is a big deal. You've got some big sin in your life. I've got some big sin in my life. But you know what? No matter how big your sin is, God's grace is bigger. And therefore, if you want to sit at the table, if you want an intimate and vibrant, life-changing relationship with Jesus, you don't have to earn a seat. You don't have to deserve a seat. You don't have to clean yourself up first before you can sit here. You just have to admit, I am a sinner in need of the grace of God that has been poured out for me through Jesus. And that's really what it means to be a part of this church, by the way, to be a member of this church. We say this often, like the crossing. One of the things we all have in common is that we all recognize today that we're a bunch of imperfect people who stand in need of one perfect person together, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a member of a church. It's not that like the people in here have figured something out that those up there have not. It's just we recognize how bad we are and how much we need Jesus. And that's what it takes to enter into this relationship, to come around this table. It's what communion is all about. We recognize that the reason we have a seat at this table is not because of our name, but because of his name. The reason we have a seat here is not because of our performance, but because of his performance. Not because of our works, but because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. Guys, and listen to me very carefully, and we're almost done. It is so important that you get this, because you know what will happen if you don't get this? Here's what will happen, and I can tell you from experience. When you sin, not if you sin, but when you sin, if you don't understand what Jesus has accomplished for you and what he's trying to say through communion, when you sin, rather than running to Jesus, you're going to distance yourself from Jesus. And then you're going to believe the lie that the only way that you can get back into that relationship is by working your way into God's lap. And when that cycle begins, let me tell you what will happen. You'll know it begins because you'll never feel like a good enough. You'll never feel accepted. You'll never feel loved. I remember whenever I first started following Jesus, when I would sin, I can go back and actually read these in my journal entries. When I would sin, um, I remember honestly, like I, I didn't think I could even pray to God. I don't know if anybody's ever been there before. It's like you sin, you're like, I can't even talk to God right now. Like, why would he even listen to me? And so what I would do is rather than praying and talking to God, I would try to prove to God how much I loved him and how sorry I was. So I would go and maybe share my faith or serve at the mission outreach or read the book of Leviticus or whatever and be like, see God, how much I love you? Like I'm a very serious Christian. And then after I would do all of that, I'd be like, hey, now I bet he'll want to talk to me. Listen, spiritual maturity does not look like beating yourself up when you sin. It looks like running to Jesus who has covered your sins by his blood. And the faster you can run to Jesus when you sin, the more spiritually mature that you really are. It's recognizing, you know what? I'm not worthy because of anything I've done, but I'm worthy because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. And so, man, we have, none of us have gotten this right, not perfectly. And so when we take of communion in a worthy manner, that means we examine ourselves. Guys, we should not take this lightly. This isn't a flippant thing. Like, like we should examine ourselves. We should pause for a moment and, and, and just see, is there any sins I need to repent of? Is there anybody that I've hurt or I've sinned against? Or any way I'm holding a grudge? We should do all of that. But listen, and we're done. As we do all of that, we remember the gospel. We remember the truth that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. And what that means is because his body was broken and his blood was shed, that now even his greatest of enemies can have communion with him. With this in mind, I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come forward and um, those preparing the elements to come forward. And I want to invite you right now, just where you are, maybe close your eyes. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't want to. It just depends on, I guess, how easy it is for you to get distracted. But 
Just take a moment to examine your heart right now. Just to examine, just again, maybe take some breaths and, and just say, God, I recognize you're here. Now help me to be here with you. And is there anything you want to say to me about my relationship with you or my relationship with others? And you don't have to go looking for something. The Holy Spirit will, will reveal that to you. And just ask. And if he brings something to mind, great. Like, act on that. If you've got a, a grudge against somebody, then like, go reconcile. Or if someone has sinned against you and hurts you and you've not dealt with that, or you sinned against somebody, just go deal with that. If there's sin, if there's things that you're holding on to that you know that you have been putting other things above Jesus, then like, man, just confess that to him. And know again that he's faithful and just to forgive you. And as you're ready, come and partake of communion. For those of you who are here and you're a Christian, you're welcome to this, even if you're not a member of the church. We've got uh, gluten-free bread up here, which you can, uh, they will tear off a piece of this bread for you, and then you can dip it in the juice. Um, we have the gloves, we have the mask, try to be as sanitary as possible. But if you do not feel comfortable taking communion this way, we have communion cups in the back, on that back table, um, there by the doors. You can grab those, and you can partake that way as well. If you're here and you're not a Christian, um, this table is closed to you, but not because Jesus doesn't want you here. Again, we've established Jesus wants you here. This is a table that is for people who also want to be with Jesus, who recognize that he is my savior and he is my satisfaction. That again, I am, I am imperfect, I am a sinner, I have fallen short, and therefore I need to run to Jesus and I need to trust in what he's accomplished for me through his life, death, and resurrection. That's who the table is for. And so if you're not a Christian, you've never trusted in Jesus, rather than receiving this today, receive Christ. Receive him and everything that he's done for you. And if you have more questions about what that looks like, I'll be here in the front row. We'd love to talk to you during this time or even after the service and help you with next steps. With that, I'm going to invite you to stand. I want to pray for us. And then when you're ready, just when you're ready, you can file up here and take communion or again, uh, grab the cup in the back if you would like to do that. Father, I do thank you so much for everyone here. I thank you for those who are watching online. I thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that that... You have accomplished everything for us that we could never accomplish for ourselves. I thank you that as we take of communion right now, we remember what you have done for us, and we remember that you are with us right now through your Holy Spirit. Help us to be here with you. And as we partake of this meal, I pray that we would experience you in a real and a tangible way, that we would learn how to be present to your presence, to receive your love, and then to give back your love and to love others, including even our enemies. And as a result, I pray, God, that would demand a gospel explanation where people would look at our lives and want to know what is it that is different about you. And as a result, we would get a chance to share with others about the great hope we have with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.